You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio fast pace. They can go no huddle, they can go two tight ends, they can go play action, they can take shots down the field, they can run the ball with Cam. I love the options here. Opinionated. Mac Jones was a safe pick, but his ceiling is just Kirk Cousins. To the point. The Red Sox are better than I expected. I still don't think they're winning the division. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We have a full show. We have a ton to get to. We've got two guests. I don't usually do two guests, but we've got two guests today. Again, we almost never do that. Former UVM Hoops coach Tom Brennan with us at 545 as he is every single Tuesday. And then... Keith Smith, Celtics insider at Celtics Blog, is with us at about 6.35. He was going to join us yesterday, was kind enough to come on today because we had Jeff Shulman on yesterday. So Keith Smith, Celtics Blog, got to get him on. He's with us at about 6.35. You can always get in on the show, the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Again, your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. The phone line there is 802 585 26. That's 802-585-3026. Lego. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Ready Farkas show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. With locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, it's online at sticksandstuff.com. Adam Adovino of the Boston Red Sox was a total and complete punk last night. And as a result of him being a total and complete punk, he ruined what should have been a great night for the Boston Red Sox. Adam Adovino last night, completely classless in the way he handled the Red Sox win over the Angels. If you weren't up late last night watching the Red Sox win and you just know that the Red Sox won, here's what happened. Adovino comes into the game, ninth inning. Sox are up 5-3. He gives up a run. It ends at 5-4. Okay, Adovino gets the save. He retires Shohei Otani to end the game. Although that ball was a complete rocket, Okay, it's fielded out in short right field. Sox throw Otani out game ends. We should be celebrating another Red Sox win. We should be celebrating another win out west for them. We should be celebrating a great start to the final week of the first half of the season, but instead we're talking about Adam Adovino and his antics. When Adovino retired Otani to end the game, Adovino looked right at Otani and said, Effing, not really effing, effing happy birthday, B-I-T-C, finish the word on your own. Adam Adovino ends the game 
looks at Otani and says, effing happy birthday B word. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Talking smack and swearing at Otani. What is Adam Adovino doing? Look, there's not backing down from a challenge. There's not giving in to a star. There's that. And then there's being a classless punk. And that's what Adovino was last night. Okay? I'm not saying that you need to bow down to the stars of the game. I really hate when people act timid and afraid of someone's stats or of someone's reputation. But you do need to treat people and players with respect when they deserve it. And Shohei Otani deserves it. One, Otani never says anything. I I have never even heard Otani talk. Okay, I've never even heard Otani speak. So it's not like Otani is some loudmouth who deserves the ribbing. Otani plays the game hard. He plays the game the right way. And he plays it in a way that's different than anyone else we've ever seen, including Adam Adovino. Completely uncalled for last night. Okay? Win the game. I'm pumped the Red Sox won. Thank you to Adam Adovino for getting the save, even though you made it interesting. And thanks for not having to bring in Matt Barnes in order to get it. Keep it at that. Don't be a classless punk. And that's what Adam Adovino was. And last night, that was an embarrassment. The Red Sox win the game and we should be pumped. Instead, it's an embarrassment on the behalf of Adam Adovino. He wouldn't have done that. If that was Mike Trout playing for the Angels, Adovino wouldn't have done that. If that was Mookie Betts, Adovino wouldn't have done that. If that was Francisco Lindor, Adovino wouldn't have done that. So what's the difference? Why does Otani get it and not any other player? Because Otani is younger than they are? Because Adovino personally is tired of all the Otani love this year? I've got news for everybody here. The Otani love, the Otani coverage this year is one of the best parts of baseball this year. Shohei Otani and what he's doing is the story of Major League Baseball, or at least it should be. And the coverage of him, I don't know if if Adovino finds it irritating or he thinks it's too over the top. I don't really care. Otani is doing things we have never seen before, and he does not deserve what Adovino did to him yesterday. Win the game. Relish in the fact that you got Otani to go one for five. Leave it at that. Walk off the field. Shake hands. Don't be a guy who shows a complete and utter class on the field, and that's who Adovino was yesterday. Okay, What Otani's doing deserves to be talk about, talked about. In a year where, again, it feels like all we've had is bad news to talk about with baseball, okay? The Trevor Bauer story that's out now. Spider tack. Declining averages. Too many strikeouts. There's been so much bad in this season, and it's overshadowing all of the good. The one thing it's not overshadowing is Otani. Okay, it's nice to have a feel-good story in baseball once in a while, and this year Shohei Otani is delivering it. If you don't realize how special Otani is, here's June Lee from ESPN to tell you. 
We can talk about Shohei Otani. I still feel like it's not enough Shohei Otani talk because it's truly unprecedented what he's doing. I was looking at the stats of what Babe Ruth has done, which is obviously kind of the easy place to go with him, right? Babe Ruth, the pitcher, and the hitter. But Babe Ruth only had one season in 1919 where he kind of did both of those things at a league above average level. He was with the Red Sox. He was kind of a league average pitcher, uh, and he was a really good hitter back then, obviously. Shohei Otani is pitching at a better level than he is. And he's hitting. I mean, the fact that he he he's at thirty plus home runs at the All Star game at the, at the All Star break is unbelievable. And Adovino was a complete punk for what he did yesterday. And by the way, that ball that Otani grounded out on to end the game, get this, it had an expected batting average of nine ten, not three ten. Not 4-10, 9-10. It was completely scorched. Adam Adovino, that is a hit off of you 91% of the time, according to the metrics. He got the better of you. He just didn't get the proper result. So you act like, in talking down to Otani in that way, you act like you K'd him on three pitches and made him look awful. No, he hit a rocket off of you. I would be saying nothing if I got away with one, which is what Ova- which is what Adovino got yesterday. He got away with one. Effing happy birthday, B-word. Are you serious? 802-585-3026. Red Sox fans, what do you think of Adovino's comments? Joe in Middlebury says, uh, I'm with you, Brady. I didn't know that story, but if I'm out of Eno, I'm just walking off the field and counting my blessings that I did so. Uh, Marvin, who is over in Essex, says, Brady, out of Eno is a guy who has kind of rubbed me the wrong way from the beginning since the Sox got him. Have you seen that? Uh, no, I, I haven't. This is the first thing that out of Eno's done to really rub me the wrong way. He's been largely good for the team and is, you know, like most of the team, has remain largely quiet. And this is new, and I don't know what this was yesterday from Adovino, but it seemed out of character for him and out of character for this Red Sox team. Another thing about this that upsets me is that Adam Adovino just gave us the most unlikable incident, the most unlikable instance in the 2021 Red Sox season. For as much as I've predicted them to fall apart at some point, this Red Sox team has been incredibly likable, and now Adam Adovino has done something that made them unlikable for a night or for a series. The Sox have been a great story. They've overcome odds. They've persevered. They've handled COVID protocol. They've got a couple of castoffs who have you know, made their way onto this roster and excelled. I mean, Christian Arroyo, Hunter Renfro, guys off the scrap heap who have contributed in a huge way to this team. Mixed with some great bounce-back seasons. Devers, J.D. Martinez. This has been a fun season. It's been a likable team. Heck, even Alex Cora, coming back from suspension, has been likable. He's been open, he's been honest, he's been transparent, he's been accountable, and he's answered all the questions. Everything about this team this year has been likable. They play hard, they play together, they have fun, and they do the right things. Adam Adovino countered all of that yesterday when he didn't do the right thing. Effing happy birthday B-word. Completely uncalled for, completely unnecessary, completely classless. I'm happy the Red Sox won, 
Adam Adovino, though, needs to recognize what he did was wrong. And Otani will get his chance to exact revenge on the Red Sox tonight. He's going to be on the mound today against Nathan Nivaldi. Look, I don't know if he's going to throw seven scoreless innings or he's going to go one inning and give up seven. It doesn't really matter to me. Otani is the story of this year. He's done so much good for the game, continues to globalize the sport, and has given us something positive to talk about. And to be dogged like that by Adam Adovino, who got away with one in getting out of that inning and ending that game, completely, you know, just completely flummoxed me and completely embarrassing if you're a Red Sox fan. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Switching gears, we have talked a lot over the last two weeks about how the name, image, and likeness stuff will impact UVM athletics. So how should a coach handle the whole thing? Former UVM's ho- UVM Hoops coach, the legend, the Hall of Famer, Tom Brennan, with us next right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now for the best 15 minutes of the week, as he does every Tuesday at this time, it's our guy, former Catamount Hoops coach Tom Brennan. TB, how are you? I am wonderful, Brady Farkas. Had one of the greatest weeks of my life. Had both my children, two of my, uh, three of my four grandchildren with us last week uh, for the holidays. And uh, and we got a new baby, uh, 11-month-old, so uh, I could not have had a better week. It was absolutely wonderful. I just, after, I'm just very, very thankful for weeks like that. After all that excitement, it sounds like you probably need a nap now. <laughs> you know me, man. I don't have that blazing <laughs> speed anymore. But, uh, uh, and, oh, oh, and by the way, the event of the weekend, hands down, without a doubt, was the fabulous Pecor wedding uh, right on Lake Champlain at his beautiful uh, uh, lakeside estate. On Saturday, and uh, not only were the, and the great thing about that, Brady, was not only was it a lovely event to be at, and you know, with my family, and and but every time I turned around, my boy, there was a Hall of Famer. I saw, <laughs> I saw guys I hadn't seen in years, guys I wish I hadn't seen. <laughs> but well, it was a, it was a great night. But a big uh, a big bill came on Sunday. I'll tell you that. Yeah. A big bill. <laughs> well, I am glad you had a good time. Um, you know, kind of off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you're a big hockey guy, but it's pretty cool right now. Stanley Cup Finals, that Dominique Ducharme is a catamount, and he's the interim head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. And Ross Colton, who played for UVM just a couple of years ago, plays for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So either way, you know, UVM ends up good in the Stanley Cup Finals. When you see catamounts on the national stage – doing things like that. One of them's going to hoist a cup. What does that mean to you? Well, it, it, it gives me great pride, great, great pride, because anytime any of us do good, we all do good. I, I've always, always felt that way. And I, I got to tell you a quick story. When I got here, uh, Brady, I mean, you, you, well, you were, I don't know if you were alive when I got here, but anyway, <laughs> in 1986, when I got here, uh, it, now let's just say the program was down. Let's be kind and say the program was down. And, um, 
And I was one of the reasons I came. Well, one of the reasons I came is because I wasn't wanted at Yale. Uh, but another reason that I came was because of Mike Gilligan. You know, we were dear yeah. friends at Yale, and and he was the coach here, and he kept telling me, "Come on, I've given it." Now I'm thinking, "No, hell no, you can't win it, Vermont man. Why, why would I come there just to drink with you? No, I can, <laughs> I can drink with you all weekend." <laughs> but anyway, uh, he did talk me into it, and they, you know, they were very gracious and kind to me. Uh, and um, but I remember in 1986 six and 87 we would go places brady honest to goodness and 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 they were they were they were rolling you know with claire and blah 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 and showman and all those tarrant all those guys and they were good and um and he would say you know what i got what we need we got what we need we need to help brennan out we need to help him he needs it we need to help his budget we need and i'm thinking who would say that man we, we play in the same time we play in the same zone we, we play in the same place basically you know and yet he did that all the time and that meant so much to me. And also, I remember Brady coming back from Maine one night. Oh, my God. And it was like three in the morning. You know, I mean, you, you just it was awful. And um, and we pull up to the front of the building and there are people sleeping there waiting for tickets. That's before they had the front of the uh, Gutterson, you know. And I thought to myself, man, look at this. I mean, just get good. That's all. If you can just if you can just get it a little bit good, people will buy into it. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And that was so inspirational to me, as as was, you know, Gilligan trying to help me out every day that he could. And so uh, I will never forget that. And that's one reason. Plus, back then, man, back in the day, it was different. We all went out every Friday. You know, uh, <laughs> we all went downtown or or, uh, or went to the Roto. And that was Gilly's place. And, you know, it, it was just different. We, we all were – we all were – kind of way more together than they are now because there's just too much going on now, you know, but now I, I was here at the best time of that. And, and yeah, and Gilly uh, took tremendous, tremendous care of me. So anytime there's any success and of course, uh, St. Louis, what, you know, I mean, yeah. that guy is a world-class star. I mean, he just made, you know, you know, that name, it, that's a, a big time hockey name. And so when he wanted, came back and he was just so gracious with everybody, you know, it makes you proud to be associated with that. And it doesn't really matter how you're associated with it. It's your school. It's your teams. And uh, when they do well, uh, you you think it's great. Or I do anyway. Former UVM Hoops coach Tom Brennan with us here on the Brady Farkas Show here on the Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. TB, I spent a lot of last week, a lot of yesterday, talking about the name, image, and likeness stuff. How big a deal do you think that is at UVM? I, I think it's a, a little big deal. You know, it's not a big deal like it would be at Clemson. You know what I mean? And it's not a big deal like it would be at Alabama. But it certainly is going to – some guys are going to make money. There's no doubt. And some – and I should – I should I use guys, everybody, guys and girls. People are going to make money. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a kind of a neat concept for a lot of people. Uh, the, the, the Covender sisters or wherever they are at Fresno, you know, they yeah. make a million dollars, it seems like. But <laughs> I, I do think, like, and let's just talk real quickly. I, Ryan Davis, is he, like, the ultimate Vermont basketball player? You can't find a Vermont basketball player like Ryan Davis since maybe Coppenrath. If you say, hmm. oh, that guy plays at Vermont. Sure he does. That's just what he, he just looks like a Vermont guy. <laughs> so he'll he'll make some money for sure. And Benny, of course, Benny Shungu, uh, one of the most popular athletes we've ever had here. Uh, and and even if it's they're just getting meals or you know cl- clothes or whatever the hell people can give them, I, I guess it's almost everything. But 
regardless of that, um, you know, I think we're going to have a lot of guys, not a lot, but, but, but we're going to have guys that make money. And I think that's really cool. What would your concerns be as their head coach? Well, I, my, I didn't have any concerns initially, Brady. Then I did a, a thing yesterday on, uh, on Sirius, and, and a guy gave me about four or five concerns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but one would be as a coach, the biggest thing as a coach, um, and I hadn't, again, because I'm a nitwit, I hadn't thought about this that much, uh, the idea of if your quarterback's making – 20,000 and your wide receivers making five. Uh, how is that going to affect your locker room? You know, and, yeah. um, and, and it really is a good question. I mean, uh, my, my initial answer break coaches stay the hell away from it. Don't even talk about it. It's none of your business. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, they can do almost anything they want. Um, and you just don't, I, I guess you have to address it to the point of you don't want it to be a, a team problem for sure. Uh, but I think everybody kind of knows the rules going in, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you there. And, you know, I thought well, about wait, that. Wait, what, what would yours be? What would you, I know you're a lot smarter than me. What would your concerns be? Uh, my main concern is what you just mentioned. That's part of it. But I think my main concern is time management. It's hard to be a college student as it is. It's hard to be a college student athlete as it is. How do these guys and girls balance everything? Practice, okay. academics, relationships, social life. And now you throw in basically this job component to it. And are certain things going to fall by the wayside? Are people going to become academically ineligible because they're spending more time on the extra stuff to try to make money? Is someone going to stay up until two in the morning working on some kind of sponsorship video when they should be getting ready for, for practice at 8 a.m. and now all of a sudden they're not as good athletically. I'd say that's probably my biggest concern. And then, you know, being taken advantage of. Um, if you bring in an agent and you get taken advantage of, you partner with a brand that you don't know that much about and they end up not being somebody you really want to be representing, but you're locked into a contract. Being taken advantage of, time management, and then the locker room dynamics are probably my big three. Okay. Uh, you mentioned academics. Do they still have academics in college? They, <laughs> some places do. Some places do. Hey, how would you think the NCAA has said you cannot utilize the NIL stuff as recruiting incentives? But we all know that there's going to be some kind of recruiting benefit to this. How would you, if you were the head coach, I mean, how do you navigate that? I don't know. Honest to goodness, I, I feel stupid saying that. But I don't really know. I, I As I said before, my, my best – uh, inclination here is just to get out of the way and and handle problems as they come up. Don't go hmm. looking for them. And uh, but and that's not saying they're not going to come up. But I, I think the less coaches worry about this stuff, and and the, you know we have we will have an an office, right? Somebody that you go check in with when you do all yeah. this stuff. So so you know it's not it's almost like um, going to the trainer. You know, you send him to the trainer. That's what whatever the trainer says is it. You don't have any input on that. Of course, you try to, and it's <laughs> going to be the same thing with this. You know, I mean, I I, I just feel like um, you know uh, the coaches need to kind of stay out of it. Let's give it a year. Let's see how it goes. Let's see what the troubles are that come up, uh, and then we can deal with that a little bit better next year. And as far as the NCAA, you know, nothing could be more passe than that, my boy. They are yeah. sliding out the damn door. I'm telling you, they're going to be non-essential very, very soon. So uh, we'll see how all that works out, too. UVM legend Tom Brennan with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, as he is every Tuesday on WDEV TV. We missed a Tom Brennan's poetry corner last week. This week, I mean, let's. I mean, we got 
name, image, likeness stuff. We got Joey Chestnut eating hot dogs. We got the Stanley Cup finals, NBA finals begin tonight. I don't know where you're going to go, but maybe a cornucopia of topics in today's poem. Well, actually, I am going to read you uh, last week's poem that I didn't get a chance to read you. And okay. I think it's very pertinent, very pertinent. But before I do that, I want to say quickly, I got this, this neat thing. We got a guy named Cam Gibson at, at UVM basketball, okay? And he transferred from Western Carolina. Okay. Now, the, 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 the irony and the karma will blow you away. Uh, so he, he was, I'm pretty sure he was freshman of the year in the SOCON. I don't know that for sure, but he, he averaged 15 a game as a freshman. But that's yeah, he was good. Story. Yep. The story was, story is that he got 34 points on old Tom Brennan court at the University of Georgia. Actually, ah. actually the court that I played on. It's the okay. same building. Now, I know they must have gotten a new court by now, but it's absolutely the same building that I played in from 67 to 71, and uh, he got 34 there as a freshman for uh, Western Carolina. So let's see if he can uh, go right on top of that on this Tom Brennan court, hopefully in his first game. So And anyway. transferring from uh, Western Carolina to UVM means he's going catamount to catamount. Only one in the country. That's right. <laughs> Somebody said, he, he said, the manager said to him, uh, uh, you're going to be a catamount. He said, no, no, I'm leaving the catamounts. <laughs> he didn't know what our, he didn't know what oh, our last was. But, All right, what's the poem? Okay, here we go. Uh, today's epic is called The End of the Innocence. <clears throat> Most of you are aware, I cut Justice Kavanaugh back in the day at Yale. Told him he had a little bit of game, but as a bulldog, he couldn't prevail. He didn't seem bitter at the time, but my goodness, if I only knew that he would take the NCAA amateurism and blow it into Timbuktu. So 9-0 and in the highest court in the land, as the athletes have exhaled. And if, and if or not kids should be paid to play, well, baby, that ship has sailed. For 100 years, the NCAA told us, kids, you need to live with these quirks, one of which is everybody gets rich except the cats that are doing the work. And you know what Springsteen says about these riches that are almost surely to be? And that is the door is open, darling, but the rod is very far from free. There's certainly going to be many drastic changes in store. For example, Eric Dickinson will never have to say it was his grandmother's car anymore. Uh, you'll have to thank the butterfly effect uh, for all that's happening now. Just by whisking a chief justice into the wind, I became the bell cow somehow. Now, I don't want to be self-serving, but I'm clearly of the notion they probably should let me be to Czar College. I mean, I did set the whole thing in motion. Yo, yesterday is history. <laughs> Tomorrow's a mystery, but today is a gift. Grab it. Rip it open like a five-year-old at Christmas. Brap to you, Brady Farkas. TB, Tom Brennan, former Catamount, uh, Catamount head coach and poet laureate. I don't know what that means exactly, but it sounds fancy. So, TB, until next week. Always a pleasure, my boy. Can't wait to see you again. That was the best poem that TB's ever given us. This whole poem thing threw me for a loop when we started doing it because everyone told me, you know, TB can write poetry. I'm like, okay, great. This is a sports show. So here we go. TB's got me letting him do poetry, and he's killing it. TB with us every single Tuesday. A lot of good stuff there uh, on the NIL stuff. So what we'll do is we, we're cutting up the audio. We'll get to some of our takeaways from our TV interview on the other side of 6 o'clock. But, when, oh, by the way, text line 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Uh, Joe in uh, Williamstown, what a epic, epic 
from TB. Great poem. Yeah, I agree, Joe. I agree. So, again, Tom Brennan takeaways coming on the other side of 6 o'clock. We will get a CBS News update from, again, the people at CBS News. But when we immediately come back prior to our TB takeaways, a guy who once had a bright future in New England, he now wants out. I'll tell you what this athlete's saying. That's all next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and streaming on the free WDEV radio app. Hi, this is Evan Hallstrom. I race super late models with the Pro All-Star Series. You can follow me throughout the summer racing up and down the East Coast. I've always loved auto racing. Not only do I drive the car, but I build it with my dad. We're a small family-run team that has a lot of fun. I'm proud of the work that I do with the Governor's Highway Safety Program and the Vermont Highway Safety Alliance. Remember, click it or ticket. Follow me on my Facebook page at Evan Hallstrom Racing and Twitter at EvanHMS1 or my website at evanhalstromracing.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Remember Red Sox baseball tonight coming up 8.40 with the pregame show, 9.40 with the first pitch Shohei Otani against Nathan Ivaldi. The All-Star, Nathan Ivaldi in that one against the All-Star, Shohei Otani. The show is brought to you in part by Vermont's premier truck driver training school. That's Pro Driver Training. With facilities in Milton and in Enosburg, they can help you take the next step in your career. They help offer you Class A, Class B uh, CDL licenses, passenger advanced skills training. Bottom line is they prepare you for success. If you want to join the team, you can go to their website, prodrivercdl.com, or call them at 893-4955. The agent of Patriots wide receiver Nikhil Harry has formally requested a trade from the New England Patriots. Let me repeat that. The agent of Pats wide receiver Nikhil Harry has requested a trade formally for Harry, and he wants him out of New England. His agent writes a lengthy social media post in which he says, this is about opportunity. Basically, Harry hasn't gotten it in Foxborough. Nikhil Harry has been a major disappointment thus far in his career. He caught just 12 passes in seven-plus games during his injury-played rookie season. He caught just 33 passes in 14 games last year during the COVID season. This whole thing, this whole asking for a trade, disturbs me on the part of Harry's agent and Harry if he shares the same sentiment, which I'm sure that he does. First off, Harry didn't get the opportunity his rookie year because he was injured the entire first half of the season. First half of the first preseason game against Detroit in his rookie season, he got injured, and we didn't see him for like 14 weeks after that. The remainder of the preseason plus like 10 regular season weeks. And then when you come back like week 10, week 11 in a Tom Brady offense, you're not really getting looked at then. So the injury is what contributed to the lack of opportunity in Harry's rookie year. It wasn't a vendetta by the Patriots. It wasn't Bill Belichick. It wasn't Josh McDaniels. It wasn't the scheme. It was a Patriots team who needed players that could help them win the Super Bowl, and a guy who was just coming along for his first career action wasn't that guy. So that's where the lack of opportunity came for Harry in his rookie year. 
When and by the way, by the way, he has had opportunities in his career to cement himself. He has started 14 of 21 career games played. He has started 67% of his games played. 67% he has started. In that time, he has been passed by multiple receivers, including an undrafted free agent in Jacoby Myers. Okay, Now, last year, we know the Patriots were weak. The lack of opportunity came from the fact that they weren't really good on offense and they were completely run-based because that's the only way that they succeed. But Cam Newton does appear to be willing to give Nikhil Harry the ball, which is what makes this even more frustrating, that if Cam Newton is the quarterback as he is expected to be, at least for the front half of 2021, if Cam's the quarterback, there was thought to be some opportunity for Harry. That makes this even more frustrating. Cam has spoken highly of Harry in the past. This was Cam on Nikhil Harry last December. December 11th, here's Cam on Harry. It's great to see his growth and his maturation You know, come full circle. And um, you know, I know he's going to keep getting better for us. Cam clearly likes Harry. He's mentioned him on multiple occasions. He clearly values Harry and thinks that there's something there to work with. So this is so frustrating to me when Harry's representation says this is about lack of opportunity. The first year of your career, lack of opportunity stemmed from your injury. Opportunity moving forward? Yeah, there's competition for targets. Yeah, there's competition for balls. But Cam likes you. Cam likes you. So the opportunity, I think, still could have been there. What this also shows me about Harry is that clearly he doesn't trust himself. Clearly, Nikhil Harry doesn't trust himself or his own ability because he knows, he sees there's competition for targets and there's competition for further quarterback trust in this offense. And he clearly doesn't think that he can stand out in this competition. Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, Kobe Myers, Nelson Aguilar. There's people ahead of Nikhil Harry. There's competition, but clearly Nikhil Harry doesn't trust that he can come out on top of this. I mean, look, again, he's been beaten out in the past by Demir Bird and by, you know, by Jacoby Myers. So maybe he's right that he can't win it, but rather than work harder, rather than try to justify his first round draft position, rather than try to grow, rather than, you know, get into extra throwing sessions, rather than do any of that, he wants out. And right there, honestly, now knowing that that's Nikhil Harry's mindset, I, I, I'm i frankly okay if he's gone. I do not like that mindset. Nikhil Harry has three years left on his contract. You know, it's two plus a fifth-year option. So he's got multiple... This isn't a, a guy who is up against a contract situation. This is a guy who has years on his contract. He has time to grow. He has time to continue to solidify himself in this offense. But rather than recognize that, but rather than work his ass off to solidify his position, he just simply wants out. Nikhil Harry is telling you, it's not about the team. It's not about the team. It's about me. It's about my targets. It's about my receptions. It's about my looks. And, and I understand that young players can feel that way at times, and I don't totally begrudge them for that. But for a Patriots team that can go to the playoffs and can win a playoff game, I do begrudge it here. If, if that's Nikhil's attitude, Nikhil Harry's attitude, which evidently it is, 
That is a problem for me, and I'm ultimately fine if Nikhil Harry goes. I saw Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, who we've had on this show. I saw him tweet out earlier today that having this trade request go public doesn't do Harry any favors. And I completely and wholeheartedly agree with that. Because now not only do I see Harry as a guy who can't persevere and who comes off like a complainer, but now acquiring teams or potential acquiring teams, they see that too. I don't think that this paints Harry in a good light, not good light, not just to the Pats, not just to Pats fans. It doesn't paint Harry in a good light to other teams around the league. Okay? I mean, Nikhil Harry right now is worried about his ability to beat out Gunnar Olszewski. He's worried about his ability to beat out Isaiah Zuber, an undrafted player in Jacoby Myers. If Nikhil Harry can't beat those guys out, if I'm an acquiring team, like what is he doing for me? I'd have pause based on this about trying to acquire Nikhil Harry if I were another team. And I have always defended Harry. And this, you know, rubs me the wrong way. I've always defended Harry. I've always said I think that he could have a place on this roster. But man, when you do the research and you crunch the numbers, it really is eye-popping just how bad Nikhil Harry has been in New England. Okay? Listen, this is one of the most amazing stats I've ever heard in my life. Nikhil Harry has been open on just 26% of his targets against single coverage. When Nikhil Harry is matched up in single coverage, he has been open on just 26% of his targets. Out of 100 qualified wide receivers, Nikhil Harry is 99th. Against single coverage, in terms of getting open, Nikhil Harry is better than only one qualified receiver in the NFL. Like, think about that. Man-to-man, single coverage. The offense always, the offensive player always has the advantage because they know where they're going. The offense has the inherent advantage, and Harry still can't separate. He still can't get open. Good receivers should own single coverage. That's why good receivers get double covered. Good receivers, first-round picks with a first-round athleticism should own single coverage, and he just doesn't. Forget owning it. He can't even get open a little bit against it. Now, given all that weaponry that he's worried about, I think Harry would have had an easier time in Foxborough this year, and I think there could have been opportunities there, but alas, he didn't want to go that route, and now he wants out, and frankly, I'm okay with the Pats getting rid of him now. I'm okay if Nikhil Harry is not on the Patriots roster at the beginning of the season. This attitude, this give-up attitude, this I-can't-beat-out-undrafted-players attitude shows me that he's not a player I really want to grow with in New England because he evidently doesn't really feel like he can grow himself. A first-round pick should be able to beat out Isaiah Zuber, and Nikhil Harry is evidently worried about it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We just had former UVM Hoops coach Tom Brennan on, as we do every Tuesday. In about 20 minutes, we're going to have Keith Smith of Celtics blog on. There was one thing that TB said, and, and 
my apologies to intern Colin. I didn't ask him to grab this piece of audio specifically. But the one thing that Coach Brennan said he was concerned about with the name, image, likeness, player's ability to make money stuff is he said his only concern is the locker room structure. If your quarterback's making 20 grand a year and your wide receiver's making five, he wonders if that difference can cause a fracture in some locker rooms. So basically, how much will jealousy and resentment take over locker rooms now in the future? We already know, and I I think this is a valid concern from TB. I think there are multiple concerns about this, right? Time management, players getting taken advantage of. I think there's a lot of perils, but TB's point is well-received by me. We know already that these situations happen in the pros, right? Guys are comparing themselves to other guys. The money hierarchy matters in the pros, and I think it will matter in college also. We already have those elements in college, though, right? This just takes it to another level, okay? This guy, you know, we, we again, we see this already in college sports. This guy gets the press coverage. This girl gets all the interviews. This guy gets all the women. That girl gets all the guys. There's already, excuse me, jealousy and resentment inside locker rooms. But this will 100%, without a doubt, add another layer to it. And then what about the other way? How about a guy who's not that great on the field, who has a good social media following, who's making bank, and the guys who are performing on the field are getting nothing? How's that going to go over in a college locker room? This will happen. This will matter. When the star player is making 80 grand and everybody else is making nothing, or when the guy at the end of the bench is great on TikTok and is making money and the star wideouts making less, these dynamics will happen and they will be problems. Team leaders, coaches, absolutely are going to play a role in keeping a locker room together throughout the future of college sports. The Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We do it most every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. <laughs> I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. They really said that? Having him back in the dugout obviously makes me want to beat them more. We don't like those guys. They don't like us. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Former NBA player Jay Williams was talking on ESPN Radio yesterday about Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks, basically saying the Bucks need to win now. Listen to his quote. How will that translate next year? We'll see if Brooklyn's healthy, how Miami comes back, uh, you know, post-COVID, how other teams, you know, what happens with Philadelphia and the 76ers, what happens with the Knicks. Um, there, there are a lot of teams that will happens with the Hawks, a lot of teams that will fight for that spot. But I think that starts to put this team, I think also for him and his team, Alan, one of the, the best teams there has been. So, basically, Jay Will is saying Giannis and the Bucks need to win now because there's a lot of competition next year, and he lists specifically the Bucks, Philly, Atlanta, Miami, the Knicks, and Brooklyn. Do you see who Jay Williams didn't mention in there? And that's the Boston Celtics. Jay Williams lists off one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the Eastern Conference does not even mention the Boston Celtics. Now, 
is that just an oversight by a guy talking on the radio? Or does Jay Williams and do others think that the Celtics truly have fallen that far down the pecking order in the Eastern Conference? I tend to think it was more of an, more of an oversight by Williams, but I do think it follows a natural thought progression from people where people really aren't that confident in what the Celtics are doing. And I really don't get that. Okay, yes, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, I would say, going into next year are better than the Celtics. But I don't trust Philly. I certainly don't trust Miami. I didn't think that they were that good last year despite getting to the finals. I thought they deservedly lost the finals. And I don't think that they were that good this year as evidenced by the fact that they didn't, you know, they weren't able to advance in the playoffs. I do think Atlanta is good, but I don't know if they're better than the Celtics when the Celtics are healthy. I think bottom line is this. People at this point are massively underselling the Boston Celtics. They need a dynamic pass-first point guard. But if they can get that, if they can just be healthy, get deeper on the bench, I think they have a chance once again to be very, very good. They certainly at least belong in the conversation in the Eastern Conference. They at least belong in the Eastern Conference conversation. And I do think, by the way, it's nice to see some deeper, you know, to see some more depth in the East. I don't think it's the complete walkover anymore that it was for years. I think there's a good influx of talent in the East. I think the East certainly can hold its own. The Warriors, as they age, as LeBron ages, I think the East will even have more of a chance to compete with the West. But let's not forget about the Boston Celtics. I'm not saying they should win the NBA Finals next year. But I'm saying let's not at least act like they don't exist. Milwaukee and Brooklyn, I would say definitively they are better than the Celtics next year. Philadelphia, I don't trust. Atlanta, I'm not sure that they're not just a product of what's happened around them. They are good, but I don't know that they're like, top three seed good. I don't know that they're better than Boston if Boston's healthy. Next year, hopefully, no COVID issues. Next year, hopefully, no big-time injuries for the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics lost so many games this year from their stars to injuries in COVID. They just couldn't overcome it. There was no chance to get the chemistry right. Next year, I think the Celtics look to be a lot better And I think they are certainly in play in the Eastern Conference. And maybe Jay Williams just, you know, omitted them by accident. But there's a lot of people omitting them on purpose. And I don't think that they should be. That's next. Or that's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We had Tom Brennan on. I've had a lot of opinions so far on the name, image, and likeness stuff and its impact on UVM. There's one area in which I've really changed my opinion about the impact on Catamount Athletics. That's next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you in part by Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness, a high-intensity interval training workout program in South Burlington. It's in the 
Plaza next to Shaw's with the uh, Chipotle and Subway and Starbucks, and it's right there, easy to find off Interstate 189. It's a 45-minute or an hour-long structured workout in which you have a coach there, part of a small group of uh, you know class members in there, so you get some good attention from the coach, a good workout structured for you. If you're like me and you can't really just go to the gym and work out because you get distracted and you end up, you know, doing about three hours, you know, spending about three hours in to do about 45 minutes worth of work. This one keeps you on that time frame and you burn calories all day long as a result. I went this morning and it was certainly uh, beneficial to me and always is. We had UVM Athletic Director Jeff Shulman on the show yesterday and we talked about the name, image, and likeness stuff as it pertains to UVM. And there is one way in which my perception of this and its impact on Canamon Athletics has changed, okay? Here's what Jeff Shulman said yesterday, and I'll get back to my original thought after. Um, I think we in many ways benefit just from the the fact that we're the, you know, we're the only show in town. There's no other Division One schools in the state of Vermont. Um, very, really no professional sports uh, any any longer now that the Lake Monsters have, have shifted their affiliation. Um so, uh, you know, our athletes, our athletes are pretty high profile in our community. Obviously, you know, Burlington and Vermont is a lot smaller than some of the places that we're competing against. But I think it, probably the success on the NIL front, at least at that level of this sort of higher profile athletes and endorsements, is more a function of sort of where they are in the marketplace. This is where my opinion has changed the most on the NIL stuff, okay? I now think, after kind of sitting on this for a week, and talking with Jeff, I now think that some of these small college towns or some of the small states can really benefit from these opportunities, okay? My initial thought was, in hockey specifically, UVM's going up against the schools in Boston, and that's a much bigger, more concentrated area with a lot more money. I initially thought, wow, they're going to be able to give out money hand over fist, and UVM is going to be left scratching his head wondering what happened. But now, kind of sitting back on it, in Vermont, UVM is an institution that permeates the entire state. If they can capitalize on that, then they have a chance to keep developing meaningful business partnerships and meaningful relationships that can really help get athletes paid and get opportunities. In that much bigger market like Boston, there's so much competition for money that's such a big market there's so many teams and so many schools those dollars that are out there they're continually fought for and somebody has to lose out celtics red sox patriots bruins new england revolution boston pride and women's hockey umass umass boston division three uh northeastern boston college bu babson they're all there and then D2 schools too. Like There are places everywhere that want your dollars as a business, and those athletes want those dollars. There's not infinite amounts of money there. At UVM, in this state, UVM won't lose out. They won't be beaten by another school. They won't be beaten by somebody else. And in turn, I think that being a big fish in a small pond is going to be much more beneficial than being a very little fish in a big pond. As Jeff Shulman says, it's not necessarily the size of your market. It's your athletes standing in that market. And at UVM, the cat amounts are in Vermont. UVM has the top billing. 
There is nothing else. So businesses across the entire state, I think, are likely to want to partner not only with the college, with the athletic program, but also with the athletes who make it up. Another thing that Jeff Shulman and I talked about was how does the name, image, and likeness stuff impact women's sports? A lot of people have said that they think this is actually bad for women's sports. And the reason they say is because businesses will reallocate money. They will give money to individual male athletes and they will cripple women's sports because they won't spend on the athletic department as a whole. Or maybe a handful of female athletes get a bunch of money and the rest of the athletic department on the women's side gets nothing. Here's what Jeff Shulman said to that. But I think in a place like UVM, we may be very surprised who ends up benefiting most from this. And it could very well be um, you know, a, a swimmer or a track and field athlete or a field hockey player who, um, you know, has a real um, big social media profile and is able to, um, you know, kind of translate that into free products or sponsorship agreements or things that, that you know, maybe beyond my understanding of, of all of that. I agree with Jeff Shulman on this one, too. I don't think that the NIL is going to cause the demise of women's sports. I, I think that female athletes at UVM and across the country are going to parlay athletic success with their other interests and social media influence. They're going to carve out a nice piece of the marketplace for themselves. And in turn, as individual athletes get bigger, the sport will get bigger. The athletes will always market the sport better than anyone else will. It's that simple. The individual athletes will market the sport better than anyone else will. It's why in baseball we say, oh, Mike Trout needs to be more marketable. Oh, Otani needs to be more marketable. We're looking for the athletes to do the work. And now on the women's side of college sports, the athletes are going to be able to do the work. They're going to be out there. They're going to be front and center. They'll make money based on their athletic ability. They'll make money based on their athletic profile. But they'll also make money based on clothes and TikTok and social media and other interests that they have. They will find money from other places. And in partnering with those other groups and with those businesses and with those other places, they will bring awareness to their sport and to their university. And that will showcase the very best of both. The very best of the university, the very best of the athletic department, and the very best of those athletes. So this is not a death blow to female sports. This is not a death blow to women's college athletes. I think this is ultimately a good thing. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, on the phone line with us now is Keith Smith over at Celtics Blog. And we were going to have Keith on yesterday. We appreciate him being with us today. And uh, so much going on yesterday, we wanted to talk to Jeff Shulman. So, Keith, nice enough here to kind of rearrange his schedule. Again, he is, you know, among the top leaders in Celtics coverage. And there's been so much this offseason with the Seas. Keith, over at Celtics Blog. Keith, I appreciate you being with us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you being with us. I got to ask you this question to start. We had Adam Kaufman on every week, you know, from January through the middle of June. And I think that Adam Kaufman is one of the best Celtics insiders there is. I put him right up there with you. So who wins the battle royale between you and Adam Kaufman? <laughs> oh, man, you're putting me on the spot right away. I, I, I'll give it to Adam. You know, let's, 
Well, let's give him the win here going into 4th of July weekend. <laughs> well, uh, both of you are great, undeniably. And Celtics in the news, as I said. Ime Odoka hired Brad Stevens, front office restructuring. Um, what do you think of the Odoka hire first? Yeah, I think it's a really, really good hire for the Celtics. I think he ticks a lot of the boxes that they uh, wanted to have with a new head coach. I think he's a younger guy, so he should relate to the players quite well. He's a little more hard-nosed than Brad Stevens is. Uh, I don't want to go too far with that because there's this reputation that Brad Stevens is soft, and he absolutely isn't. I've I've heard him rip into guys uh, on occasion, so I I don't want to put that out there, but Yudoka mentioned mentioned it in his press conference. Guys want to be coached hard. He's going to be on them. He's going to really be pushing them. I think that's really good. He's a very uh, highly thought of defensive coach, and the Celtics had some major slippage on that end of the floor. So they're going to uh, need him to help them get back that reputation because that's what their backbone has been over the last several years has been their defense. You know, I'm a sucker for guys who say the right thing, okay? I love Cam Newton. Cam says the right things. I love Brad Stevens. Brad says the right things. Do you think that Brad Stevens is already shown an aptitude for this front office job, or is he just saying the right things at this point? No, I think he's got a pretty good understanding of it. I think the biggest thing in a front office is you have to manage short-term uh, priorities against your long-term goals, and that has to be a constant uh, tug of war. It's a push-pull that's happening all the time in that situation. And I think Brad Stevens is a guy whose mindset is always, all right, we've got to deal with what's right in front of us, but it's all about the long-term. It's you know going to go in here. I go back to when he was hired, and uh, this was before we had started all the the process stuff in Philadelphia. I think in his opening press conference as Celtics head coach, Brad Stevens said it's a process like 20 times. Hmm. Um, you know, and that that is true. You know, it, and that's going to serve him well as the general manager because he's not going to overreact to a handful of bad games or anything like that. He's going to be measured. He's going to make moves the right way. And we're already seeing him kind of come out of the gate with, all right, there's a Kemba Walker situation here that we need to deal with to free up some flexibility for ourselves uh, financially on our salary cap sheet and he handled that you know in a, about as good a way as you possibly could the rest of the roster as it stands right now there obviously is some money available because of the free up and um, provided by Kemba's trade would you rather see the Celtics spend that money in bringing back Evan Fournier simply or is it try to get Lonzo Ball in restricted free agency try to get Kevin Herter in restricted free agency what would you rather see them do with some of that savings yeah, it's the challenge with doing something to get like Lonzo Ball or Kevin Herter is those are signing trades and those those kind of moves without getting too deep in a salary cap minutia, they end up hard capping you, which we know was a challenge for the Celtics last year when they were working under a hard cap. It just makes filling out your roster extremely difficult. So I don't think we're necessarily going to see a move like that. Um, I, I think it probably remains most likely that they re-sign Evan Fournier make a couple other moves around the edges of the rotation, and then move move things forward with a team that looks relatively similar to the team we saw wrap up last season. Because I know there's a belief within the organization that with better health, they will have a much better season this coming year. Keith Smith from Celtics Blog joining us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. This team now has multiple big men, like a lot of big men. Al Horford, Tristan Thompson still there right now, Robert Williams. Do you think that 
all three of them are on this team next opening day, or um, are they going to have to move somebody? Yeah, I think ideally they would move somebody. I, I think uh, Brad Stevens made it pretty clear throughout the course of, of his comments as the head coach that he believes the team plays best with only one big on the floor at a time. Now, he played two bigs because he was forced into it. And now Horford, his offensive skill set is a lot more versatile than the other bigs that they've had uh, the past couple years. So I think they could get away with playing two bigs more if he's one of the two. But I think the idea is going to be build a roster that is built around a lot of really good wing players, a ball handler, and then only one big at a time. And that's going to leave somebody out of the mix. Now, Horford's a little older. He tends to sit you know, more at this point in his career. Robert Williams is not someone that, you know, we can really trust to stay healthy. So you might see them uh, go with a, you know, side of caution and say, all right, let's, you know, keep Tristan Thompson here. But if they really want to build out, that's a nice uh, matching salary in trade to go get them some help. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him moved on uh, before the end of the offseason. What do you think the next step for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is it, is it something on the court or is it something attitude wise like Cedric Maxwell the other day said he wants to see those guys be more confrontational with other teams and be you know have have a bigger attitude presence that will filter down the roster yeah I don't I don't know about the attitude presence sometimes I think that's a very old school way of thinking and, and I do think that they're already kind of there you know Jason Tatum's not above talking to the other team and talking some trash and we've seen Jalen Brown you know he loves when he throws down a big dunk on somebody to flex on him and, and let him know about it so I, I think you know those two guys are there they're, they're certainly not Marcus Smart who's you know running commentary uh, throughout <laughs> the entirety of the game but I, I yeah I think I could see a little something where it's you know uh, what I would like to see is both of those guys, and we've seen Tatum do it uh, often enough that we know he can do it all the time, is, all right, nobody else has it. Come on, jump on my back. Let's go tonight. And then on court, they just need to become, continue their growth to becoming better playmakers for others. We know they can get, get their own shots and that they can score, but as defenses uh, continue to hone in on the two of them, we're going to need to see them making you know more plays for others. And they took big, big steps with that uh, in this past year, uh, really year plus, because it was about the second half of the prior season and then this last full season, that if they continue to do that, there's no reason those guys can't average between four and five assists per game, and that's huge when you consider that they're both going to be 20-plus point-per-game scorers. You talk about balancing short term priorities with long-term goals where do you think the Celtics stand you know even though this season's not over yet heading into next season of the Eastern Conference are they still behind Milwaukee and Philly and Brooklyn I mean are they looking at fourth you know fourth place at best right now uh, let, let's see, right? We don't know what those teams are going to do, but I would say going into next year, barring you know, major changes at the top, uh, Brooklyn should be probably considered the favorite because they'll be healthy. They'll have a full year uh, that they're looking at with Durant, Irving, and Harden, and that's really hard to beat you know, with, with those three guys because even if one of them's out, you've still got two of the best players in the entire game uh, available for you. Then I think as we look at um, – 
Philadelphia. I think Boston's closer to them than it seems, and I think that team's going to have some major changes that they undergo this offseason. We'll see you know, what kind of moves Daryl Morey puts together. Uh, and then Milwaukee, I don't think the Celtics are all that far off the Bucks either. They played them uh, really well in the regular season uh, this past year, and that was when it was not the best Celtics team in the world, and they, they were still right there with them. So I, I think Boston is closer than it seems. They've just got to get rid of the inconsistency and somehow find better health. And I think you'll see a team that you're right in the mix, you know, near the top of the conference. We've seen all the injuries in these playoffs, all the injuries this season, and a lot of people say it's because there's been so much basketball jam-packed in a not a long period of time. Do you have any trepidation about Jason Tatum playing in the Olympics? Yeah, I do. Now, I don't blame all of the injuries on the condensed schedule, I think. You know, Kyrie Irving landing on a guy's foot, yeah. rolling his ankle. That Those things happen the way Giannis landed the other day. That kind of stuff happens. It's unfortunate, you know, that it's happening in the playoffs, but we see that all the time. And I think, you know, we have kind of had some short-term memory loss from it was only a couple of years ago when Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson went down in the NBA Finals and, you know, really kind of changed the trajectory of, of that championship. So that that is one thing. But that said, yes, I, I, I'm a little bit nervous. You know about Jason Tatum playing, but where I counter that is there's this perception I think of NBA players that the season ends and they all go home and sit on the couch <laughs> for months on end. That's not what happened. He was going to be playing somewhere, you know, and probably in high level pickup games. A lot of these guys will get together either with other players from their agency, with players they're friendly with, with players who live in the same place they live in the off season. Or with guys who are, you know, uh, maybe you know, went to their same uh, college, university, those kind of things. So they're all going to be playing somewhere. At least this is organized, structured. There's going to be, uh, you know, all right, we're going to play today, rest tomorrow, those kind of things. And and then on the, the the other thing, why I'm not overly worried is it's never a bad experience to play in the Olympics or you know the World Cup, as long as you're representing your country. And it's also proven to be pretty fertile recruiting ground. And there's a couple guys mm-hmm. who are his teammates that you know may, may be looking for a new home here pretty soon. And if Jason Tatum can be in there talking it up, so much the better for the Celtics. Keith, to get you out of here on this, we mentioned the season not being over yet this year. The season last year may have never finished. I'm convinced, if not for you. You were the guy (laughs) who came up with the idea of the NBA bubble in Orlando because you used to work at Walt Disney World. Did the NBA ever send you a thank you card? We so the day the article posted, it was uh, in mid-April that the article posted on Yahoo Sports, and it picked up pretty good traction uh, right off the jump. I, I got we got an email uh, from someone with the NBA, and it, it, the, the entirety of the email was thank you for a thoughtful and thorough idea. <laughs> uh, you know, we're hoping to be able to continue this season. You know, as we evaluate going forward or something along those lines i'm paraphrasing but we, we did get a thank you for for a thoughtful and thorough <laughs> idea uh email now that's that, that's the most you know and if that, that's the most we ever get from it you know i'm pretty happy with that i guess you can frame that up and put it on your desk like a diploma <laughs> yeah so something like that i can put that next to my uh, disney memorabilia it's <laughs> just another you know note along the way in my career Keith Smith, Celtics insider at Celtics Blog, one of the premier Celtics websites uh, that there is, one of the premier Celtics follows also on social media. Follow Keith, follow Celtics Blog, follow Adam Kaufman, and you'll never go wrong in your coverage uh, of your Celtics. So, Keith, man, we appreciate you. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate Keith Smith joining us always. Always a good talk. Yeah, he came up with the idea of the NBA bubble.
it was his idea because he had worked at Disney and uh, he wrote a really thorough piece, as he mentioned, on Yahoo Sports about how it could work. And boom, a couple of months later, we were playing basketball in a bubble last year, finishing the season through the uh, most uncertain part of the pandemic. What's crazy is like, I don't even know at this point if that we always say that that was the worst part of the pandemic last year. I, I don't know if it was the worst part of the year. I think the numbers probably point to this like November through April being the worst part of the pandemic. But last year was so uncertain and it was so unknown that we didn't know what we could do. We didn't know what the lay of the land was going to look like. And Keith Smith found a way for us to complete a basketball season. It was 100% his idea. Like we got all these ideas on how sports could be played last year. Baseball was going to have an Arizona league and a Florida league. Baseball was going to play in Texas. Baseball was gonna... no. The we got all these wacky ideas. We're going to have a biodome for the NFL. Keith Smith came up with the bubble and it worked and it was because of him. It's Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Great stuff from Keith. The interview is available on the podcast channel, which is brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. All right, we come back. We wrap up the show. Nikhil Harry wants out of Foxborough, but now that he's gone public with it, I think the Patriots may have no choice but to keep him. I'll explain why. That's next right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Parker show right here. Final segment here on this Tuesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, subscribe to the podcast, the full show, of, as well as all of our interviews available uh, there. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. It is on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Just subscribe or follow. Hey, programming note, no show tomorrow. Red Sox baseball against the Angels. So that's game three of that series. We'll have it for you. First pitch is just after 4 o'clock. So uh, we will have no show at all tomorrow and no afternoon news service as well. Nikhil Harry and his agent have asked the Patriots for a trade. And now that it's gone public, I don't really think the Patriots can get anything for Nikhil Harry. Before today, Nikhil Harry had some upside value. He had some tradability as far as I'm concerned. Before this went public, I viewed him as a guy with three years left on an affordable rookie contract, only 23 years old, and has the athleticism that shows some potential. Before today, he could have been worth maybe a fourth-round pick, especially to a team that was hurt by the pandemic reduction in salary cap who doesn't have any money. Nikhil Harry has some real value to those teams, the teams that have been hurt by the you know not as high as anticipated salary cap. They could have really wanted and valued and sought after Nikhil Harry, and the Pats could have held that, you know, could have held those teams to the fire about that. That was before today, but now, since this has gone public, with his since the trade demands have gone public, I think the Patriots have absolutely no leverage, and I almost don't think they can get anything out of Nikhil Harry trade wise, like. Maybe you can get a seventh round pick, but I don't even know that he's worth that. So, like, if you're the Patriots, what do you do at this point? If I were the Pats, I'd probably go against his wishes now. I'd probably bring him to camp and try to get him to make my roster. If he makes it, he's probably my fourth wide receiver Aguilar, Bourne, Myers, and him. He's probably my fourth wide receiver. 
If he can make the team, great. If not, then I'd probably just cut him. That I'd probably just cut him if he can't make my team, okay? There'd be cap ramifications. I think it's like a $4 million cap hit if Dekeel Harry is just cut outright. But you know what? I'll eat it at that rate. What would I rather do? See what I've got out of a guy who's got three years left on his contract, who's only 23 years old. See what I've got and risk cutting him and eating $4 million, Or just send him away for maybe a seventh-round pick. If you look right now across social media, all the Patriots people are asking the same question. Does Nikhil Harry have any value in the trade market? Right now, I think he's got some value, young, potential, athletic, but because he went public, the Pats have no leverage, and therefore I don't think much of a rationale to trade Nikhil Harry. So I think that this plan ultimately of going public probably has backfired on Harry's representation. Before this went public, I think you're talking about like a fourth-round pick in value. Now, maybe a seventh. I think the Patriots, I don't know that they will. Given his attitude, I, I don't really even want Nikhil Harry here, as I said earlier. But in terms of what's the smartest play for the Pats, it's probably bring him to camp and see if he can make the team. Phil in middle six says, Brady, send him out. Harry and Cam both. I'll give them away. No, we're not getting rid of Cam. Cam's the answer who can help lead this team to the playoffs. Just stop. Okay. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV. Hey, Red Sox lineups for today are out. Remember, it's 840 with the pregame show. It is uh, 940 with the first pitch. So we'll have it for you right here on DEV. Nathan Evaldi's pitching against Shohei Otani. Evaldi 9-4 and four with a 3-4-1. Otani 3-1 with a 3-6-0. The lineup for Boston, Kike is in center, Verdugo's in left, J.D. Martinez is the D.H., Xander Bogarts is at short, Rafael Devers at third, Hunter Renfro's in right, Christian Arroyo's at second, Danny Santana's at first, and Connor Wong is the catcher today. For the Angels, David Fletcher's at second, Otani hits for himself and hits second, Jared Walsh is at first, Phil Gosselin is in left, Max Stassi's the catcher, Jose Iglesias, former Sox farmhand, is at short. Juan Lagares, the former Mets in center. Luis Renjifo is in right. And Jose Re uh, Jose Rojas is at third. That'll do it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Remember, no show tomorrow. We're back at it again on Thursday. Thanks to Keith Smith for joining us. Thanks to Tom Brennan for joining us. And thanks, as always, to intern Colin. Dinner Jazz coming up next after CBS News on the